0: Let me just tell you a little bit about me so you know why I'm here and why I do what I do. I live just north of Nashville, Tennessee. Um, My husband and I have eight children and six grandchildren. And in 1995, I was a patient in a mental hospital. So welcome to your afternoon session. And that's my story. And if you think I'm too flip about mental illness, I will say to you, as I do every week, and as I actually shared live at event just this past week, that's my story, that's how I share it, and that's what brings me to you today. So welcome friends to Consider Yourself Hugged, episode 12. Today's hug, let's talk about anxiety. So in our first episode together, I gave you this brief, brief overview of my path to the mental hospital. My primary diagnosis was major anxiety disorder, and that was followed by panic disorder, depression, and PTSD. My purpose today is to fill in those details and encourage you if you struggle with anxiety or maybe you care about or love someone who struggles with anxiety. I want to encourage you with my past, I, I want to tell you about my present, present struggles and how I get through each day. And I also want you to notice something really important as I fill in the details. Those of us who struggle with anxiety, oftentimes it's not over something that, that other people would see as traumatic. You know what I mean? Other people might see the thing that you are struggling with as being okay you know dude that's just a normal part of life. And because of that I think many people feel ashamed as if there wasn't enough stigma about mental health. Notice I didn't say mental illness because if you're listening today it doesn't mean you're mentally ill. You might be but we all have a level of mental health and even that word just has a stigma with stigma with it. So I don't want you to feel ashamed because you feel like you can't deal with life circumstances like, and I'm doing air quotes, normal people do. Alright, so having said that, um, I talked also in that earlier episode about three components that influence how we react to different situations. And those things are our genetics, our circumstances in life, and our choices. I am still genetically wired in a way that predisposes me to be anxious. Okay, therefore, certain circumstances affect me more than someone who doesn't have those genes. And therefore, my choices are of utmost importance. So today, I want you to feel loved. I want you to feel encouraged. I want you to feel hope. And I want you to leave with a new understanding of what it means to live with anxiety. I want you to understand the difference between a basic emotion of fear that we've talked about before versus worry versus anxiety versus anxiety disorder. I want you to have a a different feeling, a different thought process about the label that you give yourself or that others may give you. So the story first, filling in the details, and then the encouragement. It's funny when I think of my, my story because I have friends in my life who have gone through such tragedy And I think, well, really, my story is leaps and bounds better than theirs. But it's still my story. okay? And your story is your story. Now, I've already shared quite a bit about my mom. So you might remember that she battled mental illness her entire life, mostly depression. My father, I haven't talked about quite as much. Their marriage was less than, well, let's just say less than happy. So he left when I was 10 and my sister was 11. And I didn't really see him much after that for many reasons, not if it wasn't all his fault, but my panic attacks began immediately after he left, after that separation. And I think the best way to tell the story is to read some excerpts that that come directly out of my first book, Life Without the Monsters. Um, I'm not currently selling that, so if you leave me a message for that, what I'll tell you is, is I'm updating it. This book is the one I wrote specifically about my healing from anxiety about my journey it is faith-based but it doesn't reflect my latest research on stress i don't like what i say in here about stress so i'm redoing the book but i want to read a little bit from here because i put my whole heart and soul into telling my story so i don't want to leave anything out that's important so i'm going to read just a little bit to you from this book sort of just summarizing so my parents divorce was not a nice divorce It was a nasty one with events that apparently triggered a series of panic attacks. It's very difficult to put into words how a panic attack feels, especially as an 11-year-old child. I did fine during the day. When night came, however, I became absolutely terrified. Every night was the same. The fear, the inability to breathe, the sense of being out of control, and the feeling that death was surely on its way. I remember wanting to breathe, but being unable to. I remember being so scared and wanting it to go away so badly. I remember hating that I was going through it again. It happened night after night after night. My mother took me to doctors, they did tests, they came back normal, and I would say to her, those doctors don't know what they're talking about, there is definitely something wrong with me. And let me just add, I don't think I wrote this in the book, I would also um, say horrible things to her like, you are going to feel terrible when I am dead. Have any of you all ever done that to your parents? So other than an occasional memory, my school years are basically a blur in my mind. I was overweight in junior high and lived with wonderful pet names like Bertha Butt and Fatso. So I'm jumping out of the book now. What I wanted you to hear from that was just my heart of the beginnings of my life with anxiety and worry, and panic, and all of those things. The genetics, the circumstances, all of those things. At this point in life, I was probably too young to really consider choices. So I'm going to fast forward through some of the things and come to the point when I decided to be a teacher, and I went into my student teaching. I go in pretty great detail in the book, but it really was the direct factor that led to the hospitalization. Of course, all of the other things laid the groundwork, but I decided to student teach with a local teacher because it was close. I had two small children and I was pregnant again, so it was important to me to make at least structure my life to make it as easy as possible to do all of these things. This teacher was thrilled to have me, but it turned out that we were just not a good fit. And for the first time really that I could think of in adulthood, I got a formal negative evaluation. She said that I did a terrible job. She said I had no initiative. She said I didn't even seem to want to be a teacher. This was a turning point for me. This was huge because I had lived most of my life, thus far, trying to be perfect so that everyone would think that I was normal and I, and I didn't want to upset anybody's apple cart. So here I was. Well, my, my supervising teacher from college thought it was just best to move me. So he moved me, and let me just say it basically happened again. At this point, I was so frightened and so timid, and it just didn't go well. So I quit school. Um, after I had my son, my youngest son, I went back. I finished. It was okay. The anxiety was there, but I was able to function. Well, then it became, became time to take a job. I got the job. Um, I went in on the first day. I came home that night, and the panic completely crippled me. My family had to call and quit for me. Six months later, I tried again and the same thing happened. And that point in my life, I decided I was a complete failure. Because of a difficult student teaching experience and two bad evaluations and not being able to get these jobs or keep them, I decided that I was a failure. That's when the hospitalization happened. So I've spent the last 24 years growing, learning, praying, making choices, some of them good and some of them not so good. And Now be patient for just a few more minutes before the encouragement um, because I have to tell you something else kind of negative that happened to me a few years ago. So now you kind of see why I didn't want to divide up the podcast because I would leave you with this ugh kind of thing and I didn't want to do that. So, for years after the hospitalization, once I went through, um, so, I, so I got out of the hospital, I went through therapy, I was on Clonopin for a number of, not Clonopin, I'm sorry, I did take Clonopin occasionally, but I was on um, an antidepressant. And if you're listening and don't know the medication stuff, Clonopin is like, maybe you've heard of Xanax, it's a minor tranquilizer to help when you're in the middle of a, a, a bad state of panic. But I was also taking the anti, antidepressants. Um, there was prayer. There were all of these things and it had been years since I had had a panic attacks attack. So I would talk about, um, in seminars, I would say, you know, I still have the anxious tendency, but I don't think I'll ever have panic again. Well, I don't even know how many years ago it's been. I booked an event so excited. It was a great opportunity. Uh, I was thrilled until I started planning for it. And let's just say That I started telling myself, it was too big for me. I wasn't smart enough. I wasn't advanced enough. And let me just tell you, the panic was overwhelming. And I had not felt this in probably 15 years. So I went to see my doctor and they put me on an antidepressant. I was too embarrassed, too afraid to ask for something like Klonopin. I felt like it was probably temporary, but I was too embarrassed. I just wanted them to think that I wasn't hunting for drugs. So I started taking it. The event was about a week away. It made me worse. It made me clench my jaws. It was just horrible. So I flew in, got to my hotel. Listen, I wasn't sure I was going to make it. My husband was saying he was going to come and get me. So I called. I asked for the clonopin. They called me in a small prescription. I found a pharmacy. I took that, and I guess you would say I came off the ledge. I had the event the next day, and it went Fabulously and that's that's the thing that's just crazy about anxiety. Um most of the things we worry about don't ever happen. Okay, not I mean, of course things happen, but most of the things that we think we blow them up and they don't happen. I'm thinking now it's funny if you're listening and I have spoken for you before, you're thinking, Was it us? Was it us? I'm just gonna go ahead and say no, it wasn't any of you. <laughs> but but listen, this this event it put me in a place of deep compassion for those people who still suffer with this sucky, sucky disorder. I didn't go back on antidepressants. I didn't continue to use the clonopin. but in that moment, it saved my life. And it also alerted me that I still have those genes and that I needed to pay more attention to my triggers. We all have triggers. Whether or not you suffer from a disorder or occasional bouts of worry, we all have triggers. Okay. Bad news over. So now let's head over to the encouraging side. I wanna give you 10 ways to manage this thing that we call anxiety. Number one, distinguish between fear, worry, anxiety, and anxiety disorder. Of course, the name of this episode is Let's Talk About Anxiety. We gotta go a little bit deeper. I don't want us to use the same word for every experience we have that resembles anxiety. If we can use the right word, You might know by now that I'm kind of a word nerd. So using the right word helps your brain to sort things out and makes you healthier um, mentally. So let's talk about these words that I just gave you. Let's start with fear. Fear, if you'll remember from a past episode, is a basic emotion. We all have it. It's located deep in the primitive part of your brain and it never changes unless there is disease or injury. So let's use an example. You're walking in a dark alley. Someone grabs you from behind. You are going to have fear. You're not really thinking about it. You're releasing adrenaline. It's preparing you to fight or flight. And it doesn't just have to be physical danger. It could be that you are afraid of public speaking and you are walking out on stage. So I look at fear as fear is in the moment something is currently happening. Now let's move to worry. Worry allows your mind to dwell on difficulty, or troubles. So think of worry as current troubles. Let's keep going with that dark alley scenario. You're walking through a dark alley. So it's not fear. Someone hasn't grabbed you, but you're in the situation and your mind is dwelling on that current trouble that you could be attacked in this dark alley. Now let's move to anxiety. By the way, all of these are connected. They're so connected, but I just want to give, again, a way for you to organize your brain. So anxiety is a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. Continuing on with that alley, you're about to go in a dark alley. So you're not having a current situation, but you're thinking about it because you're about to do it. Finally, the one that when we think of anxiety, we, we all really, what we're thinking of is anxiety disorder, but that's not what everybody has. So anxiety disorder in general, okay, what the professionals say to be diagnosed with a disorder, the fear or anxiety must two things. Number one, be out of proportion to the situation or age inappropriate. And number two, it must hinder your ability to function normally and that's just a quick description obviously it's more complicated than that there are time components there are other things to diagnosis i just wanted you to have an idea of a couple of of things that make it a disorder versus fear worry or anxiety and i am not a counselor i'm not a licensed counselor i'm not a medical doctor Um, hopefully you know that by now so these are just definitional things that i'm giving you so going on with the dark alleyway, you're walking through your own hallway, and it comes to the point where it's 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 inhibiting your ability to walk through your home or into any place dark, and it starts, uh, so it's out of the proportion to the situation, and also maybe age inappropriate. It's, it's more appropriate for a three-year-old to be afraid to walk in a dark hallway, but not for an adult. So do you see there's some overlap, but... If you can allow your brain to sort situations out, it allows you to be healthier. Let's move to number two. Number two is stop wishing to be normal. There is no normal. We all live on a spectrum every day from just a fear-inducing situation all the way up to anxiety disorder. All of us are in on there somewhere. You may never go all the way to the disorder side, but there's not, there's not really a normal We all process and deal with things differently. So I used to say that, oh, I just wish I was normal, I just wish I was normal, but that doesn't really have a meaning. So let's just remove that from your vocabulary. Number three, stop labeling the feeling as disastrous. This relates to number two. I I noticed something a while back. When I had a feeling of worry or anxiety, I would find myself feeling worse because then I would think... (gasps) Oh, no, it's happening. No, I don't want this. I hate this. It's is awful. And what can happen with that is it leads to something called global thinking. Global thinking means I feel this way now and I will always feel this way. You don't know that you're doing it. Like you don't say in your mind, I will always feel this way. But it can happen and you don't even realize it. So when you feel the feeling coming on and you notice that you're just now really ticked off because you have the feeling, this is what I say to myself. This sucks, but it's temporary. I know I'll feel better, fill in the blank. It could be later today, tomorrow, next week, really just depends on the situation. So tell yourself that. Number four, choose your confidants wisely. You probably know your friends and family well enough to know what response you'll get if you call them with a fear, worry, or anxiety-producing situation. So decide ahead of time before you pick up that phone or send that text or whatever it is, what you need that day. Do you need just to vent? Do you need someone to be sympathetic and say, oh, I'm so sorry? Do you need advice? Do you need someone to give you hard truths or help you problem solve? Do you need their presence? What do you need from them? And then decide who you need to talk to. And let them know what you need from them. If you expect too much or you don't tell them, you might be disappointed then they'll be upset and now you've got another bad situation on your hands so choose them wisely let them know what you need from them number five for me is prayer and reading the bible that's very important for me because that's how that's my that's my life system that's my value system so if this is yours just want to give you a couple things about this Don't just focus on the verses that tell you not to worry, although those are great and we need to see those. But look deeper. Look, what are you going through currently? Look for stories of these are real people that are written about in the Bible. So look for them. Look for people who've gone through what you're going through and and get encouragement from those stories. Number six, remember the power of renewing your thoughts. I even have that in our long term goal. I think I've mentioned before Jill Bolt Taylor's book called A Stroke of Insight. And she, she had the stroke. She was able to experience it. And one of the things that she talks about that was so powerful for me was about creating new thought patterns. You can create new thought patterns. And each time you choose a more positive thought, it gets easier. That was so big for me. It gets easier each time. And it really does. Like the first time you try to tell yourself something positive about maybe you're getting ready to speak. And you tell yourself, oh, it's going to be great. Well, that didn't really do much for you. But if you keep telling yourself that, it gets easier each time. So please keep trying. Number seven. Stop beating yourself up for having certain worries or anxieties. I had a bout of deep oh it wasn't a panic attack but it was deep deep worry for my youngest son who is 26. I feel like I've talked about this recently or I don't know I can't remember but if you've already heard it just you can hear it again. We talk often the two of us do and when I call him he usually calls me back and this particular night it was late. I hadn't heard from him after repeated texts and phone calls. I knew he was having a rough time. I was losing my mind with worry. I mean, I was crying, I was praying, I was calling his friends and family. Some people I talked to, this goes back to the confidant, it wasn't that they were trying to make it worse for me, but their advice was, well, don't worry, I'm sure he's fine. Now, I didn't say this to them, but I'm saying it to you in my head. I was like, "Uh, nope, that is not happening. In my logical mind, I knew it was okay. I knew he would be fine. But in my mom heart, in my loving heart, I cannot see it that way. And I just wasn't going to rest until I knew he was okay. And he was okay. For some events in your life, I think it's not reasonable to tell yourself not to worry. To tell a mom not to worry about her child is like telling someone not to breathe. So maybe even call it something different. Call it deep concern. But allow yourself to feel that. But make sure that you remind yourself this is temporary. This is not abnormal. This is not a disorder at least in this moment, I will get past this. Number eight, know your triggers. We all have them, I said it before, and they're usually based on our histories. Mine are absolutely centered around self-esteem, and when it comes to my children, it's around their mental and emotional well-being. I don't really worry, for me or for them, about physical things, like if I have a lab test and they say, oh, it could be bad, I just don't worry about that until it happens. But if you're talking to me or if my kids are talking to me about their mental or emotional well being, that's a trigger for me. Number nine, get the help you need. Whatever that is for you, because remember I gave you the words earlier, you could just be dealing with a moment of fear or worry or all the way up to anxiety. So for you, that help might be a weekly call with a friend, it might be reading self help books, it might be going to church. Um, Or maybe it's more than that. Maybe it's seeing a counselor and or your medical doctor. It could be medication and therapy. Um, That could be short term. It could be long term. I'm going to go ahead and say I do not. Now look, I am not a licensed counselor and I'm not a physician. So this is opinion. I don't like medication alone without some sort of counseling. I think too often... I've had so many people in my world who go to the doctor, they're struggling during a tough time, and the doctor says, well here, take this antidepressant and come back in six months. With no regards to, and you might wanna go get some counseling and kind of talk this through. So whatever help you need, seek that help out. And if you don't know what help you need, I'm gonna put a couple of links in the show notes um, to some mental health agencies that can help you. And finally, number 10. Having said all this, I want to end on balance the focus on you with a focus on others. You've heard me talk about this before because, of course, I've said you need to get help. But be careful about focusing only on you. Be cautious about blaming parents or events in your life. Moving outside of yourself can be more healing than you know, but it's a balance. Whew! So that's 10. My life is immeasurably better than that day in August, 1995 when I walked into that hospital. I know now that the same genes that predispose me to be anxious and to worry also make me caring and loving. They make me notice other people's pain. They help me connect with people. And I remind myself every day that I am not abnormal. We all have something. I know you've heard that before, but it's true. And we are on this planet to live um, as a tribe, if you want to think of it that way, as a family, to support one another. We are social creatures. It doesn't mean you spend every second of every day with other people. It doesn't mean you're responsible for fixing other people. But we function better when we support and help each other. And we are in mutually helpful relationships. I want you to know that I have added to my daily prayers, one for each of you out there who suffers with any type of worry or anxiety, whether I know you or not. And if you're someone who's living with a person with anxiety, I pray for you too. And that's our time for today. I hope you learned something and you'll pass the show link along to a friend or two. I hope you feel encouraged and hopeful. I hope you feel loved and understood. And I hope you have a new mindset for this theme we call anxiety. You can find all the show notes and get information if you'd like for me to speak at your next event at TammyWest.com. The monthly giveaway will still come from leaving a comment on the blog, and it will be for the free Consider Yourself Hugged t-shirt. And finally, remembering our mental and emotional well-being goal, I truly hope that you will renew your thoughts every single day, adopt empowering language that prevents verbal harm to yourself and others, and make positive mental and emotional choices every single day of your life. And until next time, consider yourself hugged.